Hey everyone, it's Katie here to introduce chapter 51. How's everyone doing? Bit of an emotional roller coaster the last few weeks, yeah? Uh, sorry to tell you it's not going to let up anytime soon. Of course, we recorded these episodes, you know, nigh on six months ago, and we've had a little bit of distance and done other things since then, but re-listening to them the last few weeks has been uh, interesting, difficult, enlightening, hard, um, and, and we hope frankly, that it's been the same for you. That's the kind of storytelling that we're striving to accomplish here. So if you have feedback or questions or just want to yell at us, um, we're at Dark Nexus Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also write to us at info at darknexuspodcast.com. Before I leave you, I want to give a huge shout out to our artist, Matt Walquist, who produced some of the most stunning artwork for the last few episodes to support our storytelling that, that we ever could have asked for. If you want to help us out, check out our Patreon. We keep Matt involved and keep our storytelling going. Thanks so much, everybody. Talk to you soon. Bye. Welcome back to Dark Nexus. Tonight, it's Act 2, Chapter 51. Mm-hmm. We're picking up exactly where we left off. This evening is not over. We are in the middle of the Great Harvest. Yep. And uh, I had kind of expected that what comes next would be a part of what we literally just recorded, which was the end of chapter 50, but it turned out chapter 50, I guess chapter 50 was a three-act play about the final moments of Ray's life and death. And this, what happens next, was not a piece of that. Ray has has moved on to what comes next for him. And do rest assured, you know, as you and I have talked, Paul, Ray's story is not over. But the evening is also not over. We're standing on the deck of the Selen Starling. After midnight now. It's technically the 6th of Neth. But this long, long day that began, I think down on Pier 19, if I remember correctly, is still not quite over. Because, without any warning, all of you see a blazing column of bright yellow light lance out of the top of Iris Hill Mm. from within the walled compound shoot directly up into the night sky it pierces the heart of the gathering storm clouds and continues up, up, upward staring at the dark gray and black clouds beginning to swirl and spiral around this beam as though the beam had the power to control them you can imagine the light stabbing higher into the stratosphere and into space further, further, further out into the solar system and beyond. And for a moment, you can't help yourself. You you all picture its flight across the galaxy, across the vast, unknowable darkness that lies beyond, across the universe, seeking, seeking, seeking its destination point in another galaxy, another solar system on another planet, a yellow city, slouching 
beside a lake beneath the maddening light of two black alien suns. And then there's another one, another column of blazing yellow light, this one streaking skyward from the top of Gladiolus Hill, the one that looms above the Sleepless Agency. And this beam is shooting directly out of the star Stella there. It pierces the clouds in the same way, and from the light of it, the light it's casting on the top of that hill, you can clearly see a cluster of humanoid shapes gathered around the star Stella. All of this has been silent thus far, but the next piece isn't. And though it's taken me a minute here to describe this to you, it's happening fast. It's happening really, really fast. Once the second impossibly tall column of yellow light hits the vastness of space, there's a low vroom. And the air in Thrushmore starts to light up and waver and vibrate in slowly spreading pockets. Starting near those two hills, you see patches of the town glowing where space seems to be like oscillating between two realities, two possibilities, or maybe between something even more mundane, like between two locations. I picture this phenomenon very much like a similar thing in Fringe, if you've ever seen any of that. In these patches, you see Thrushmore as it is, locked up, shuttered. And you see Thrushmore as it is or might be in Carcosa. Empty, hollow, terrified, utterly insane. Things look similar in both iterations in most places, but there is one striking exception. When the top of Iris Hill oscillates, in one split-second flash, you see the rooftop of the old mansion squatting behind the giant hedge walls. And in the next split second, you see a different structure entirely inside those hedges. A tall tower of yellow stone, windowless, crowned with spired battlements. Now again, this is all happening very fast, and as soon as you can process what you're even looking at, you see the figures atop Gladiolus Hill appear to turn in unison to look to Crocus Hill, the one looming right above you, right above the Selen Starling. And there's this brief, hushed pause. But nothing happens. Perhaps because those responsible for being there at the appointed time yes. didn't make it. We killed them all. <laughs> there's now enough light pouring out of this oscillating Thrushmore that you can see the top of Crocus Hill, the hill where you fought Dr. Trice, and you see moving very quickly one single humanoid form stumbling up to the top, closing with the star Stella from the hunchbacked posture. It seems like it's a scum. It's probably that no Mohawk scum that Barnabas terrified and sent running into the sea. There's a the scum runs up there. There's a flurry of movement, and then the form collapses. The star Stella briefly glows yellow and then shoot fades. And with another low vroom, the two colossal columns of yellow light from the other two hills flicker, blink, and then they're gone. Whatever was starting has been stopped or it failed this time at least. Exactly. And in the hush of the dying of the light, you can see all these patches of oscillating reality 
dimming and fading as well. They don't go immediately out like the yellow light did, but whatever was powering these vibrations has completely lost its mojo. You can see the figures up on top of Gladiolus Hill, the one over the Sleepless Agency. Jump ship. They ditch the top of that hill and start running down in the other direction in what seems to be a mad scramble as then whatever was intended to be the Great Harvest ends. Thunder out over the lake. Crash of lightning. And with that, this long, horrible night finally comes to an end. We're on the deck of the ship. We're all on the deck of the ship now. We've got all of the stuff that we picked up from the various bodies out on Market Street. We have Ray's body. And we're all very exhausted. What's our plan for this moment? Door's wired. <laughs> Not going to sleep tonight. Well, she will eventually, but um, she has some occult skill unlocks still available to her for oh. the 13th day of adventuring. So, um, she would like to cast Detect Psychic Significance over everything they collected. First of all. As she opens her senses... Focusing on Reese's stuff. Yeah, yeah. So as she opens those senses, probably little bits and bobs and nicks and knacks light up slightly. But what catches Dora's eye is the intense heat coming off of this bone-handled dagger with which she killed Ray. So Dora sees that. I think um, the rest of the stuff, uh, nothing of campaign interest, but that's the one that's really popping with some extreme emotional and significance heat for Dora. Where's Ray's body? I mean, if this is uh, if this is picking up literally right after we, yep. like yep. if nothing has changed, then yep. he's still on gripped shoulders. I've, I've, like he I'm hasn't still put him down. Him, yeah, great. I think I think walking up. Seeing what I saw, I, I think he, I would have wound up with him cradled rather than slung. Yes. <laughs> um, so he was on the boat. On the gangplank. When, when, the, when the ascension, for lack of a better word, happened. Yeah, so now you're, you're walking up the gangplank where he had stood with his body cradled in your arms. I think, I, th- I mean, I think as he watched what happened happen, he would have... I think he would have laid the body down and just probably fallen to his knees and watched yeah. that all happen. So I think I think I think the body is laying in, at, at the base of the gangplank. By this point, the folks that were on the deck of the ship have gathered, can see Ray's body here. I don't think anybody, like kind of like Bates, fully understood what this appearance of the Braden Phantom had meant, but they now obviously do. And the the hatches opened up, and um, all of the folks that knew Ray would be coming up to see him, see you, and stand in silent shock for the moment, trying to process what has just happened. So this skill unlock is a funny thing, right? Um, it's It tells you some very mundane relatively information Um, and it's probably stuff she knows or can intuit or whatever but the flavor of it 
is... Which one are you talking about? The blood reading. Blood reading. The, the flavor of it is like a tombstone for Dora right now. We woke up not knowing anything about ourselves. And sort of the last understanding that she can get from this body is that very mundane information. <laughs> so she will... Um, I know when we did it the first time with Vaticus on the table, it was really gruesome and awful, but this is not. This is um, laying her hand on the wound, letting his blood soak over her fingers for one minute of study, and then... And everyone gathers around silently, yeah. watching as Dora has a moment of connection. Of with, communion. Of communion with Ray's body. This is a knowledge arcana check. Let me see. This one I think we did. We don't, do have to, we don't have to do a secret anymore. Okay. You can do this one yourself. 26. Braden Vaticus was human. He was 22 years old when he died. He was male. He was chaotic neutral, however, Dora would process that in non-meta terms. He was an oracle of Shalin. Fifth level, when he died. If his eyes aren't closed already, she closes them. Mm-hmm. She lays her hand on his heart, and she walks away. This is just a body now. Sky one, seeing Dora walk away, I think we'll come up to you, Grip. We can make space for him in the hold. We can make space for him in the upstairs hold here, the on-deck hold here. If there is a plan for a gathering or a memorial of some sort, what do you wish to do? Tolman's just... Uh, Tolman's gone. Tol- just, just, like, he's just... I mean, like, bawling. all the kids have to be crying too, right? Yeah, Brenton, I don't know. Um, uh, Maeve? Maeve? Well, mm, but so, so he, I think Maeve is weirdly upbeat. She... Became an angel. She saw him become an angel, and, you know, I, I can up... You know, Nasa was holding her, and I can picture Nasa saying, like, oh, I... Honey, I don't... I don't know that that's rightly what 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 <laughs> that like, was. You're wrong. And she's like, no, no, he's he's our angel. You don't understand. You don't understand. Come on, Brenton. And then they go back down in the hold. What's Bates feeling? I think Bates is absolutely confused and upset, thinking that this thing that he was told that he was and then wasn't that this was just an actual medical illness was wrong. And he was actually this entire time, this thing that he was being railed against about being like uh, having uh, possession and like yeah. being spirit ridden and all this stuff. And so he's just like, what do I even do as a kid? Like, what do I even do with it? Like, I don't even, you know, like I held Mr. Ray and, 
and now he's he was dead. Yeah. I didn't think he was dead. I just thought he was here in a different way. And was that did I do bad? Was it your fault? Was it my fault? Oh, like shit. I should I not have brought him like Oh. You know, like he didn't want to be here. He didn't want to be here and I made You didn't come know here. that. Yeah. Yeah. Um so I think that he's you know, being a being a kid and just kind of like kind of moving off to the sides and trying to be away from everybody. Yeah. Tora, I think Mira would attempt to join you. Um, obviously, she does not and would not mm-hmm. speak, but uh, she would just stand near you to be close. Grip does not have an answer. Yeah. For Skywin. He can't shake like the the image of Ray taking on pain into it, like being able to physically see him do that time and time again, he has not been able to let go of, and he's feeling indebted to someone is based on what he knows about himself is probably not a thing he has ever felt before. Yeah. When he died, did anything change with all those different scars? Like, did they reopen? Did they remain the same? Did he heal back up? Did he... Was there any kind of change in his physical... No, his physical shell stayed with the damage that had been done to it. Yeah. But so he... he so to finish that, Grip just wishes... He, he realizes he doesn't know what Braden would have wanted. So he doesn't know how to answer the question. Yeah. And I think he just kind of isn't able to hold uh, eye contact with her for very long. I think she would take that cue and simply ask members of her crew to take the body and make space for it on the hold, put it inside for tonight as this storm is approaching. And you can tell it is it is going to rain tonight without pestering you with any more questions at the moment, but very respectfully taking Ray's body, which I think uh, Tolman would go and sit in vigil with uh, at this moment. Roni would, when he sees them like gathering up his body and stuff, would probably try to get someone like Boston. Yeah. Uh, and when the body is not in view of everybody else, strip it of any weapon and anything that anybody on this boat could use to protect everybody else on this boat. To save themselves. To save themselves. Yep. And he would do it in as compassionate and careful way as he could. Yep. But he doesn't want to do it in front of Grip, and he doesn't want to do it in front of Dora. Yeah. But he would would make sure that somebody had his armor that could use it. Mm-hmm. Um, like Vostin, like somebody who would actually be able to legitimately use it. Yes. Um, as he's taking the body and like slowly and gently taking the items away from it and sort of stripping it down, is, you know, brushes the hair out of Ray's face and uh, looks at Ray and looks at his now really peaceful face. And he reaches into the handy haversack and he pulls out 
uh, a letter, a letter that he wrote for Ray when he was very, very sick and thought that he would probably die. And he reads it. Ray, look, I don't know what to say to you. In my head, to the absolute best of my knowledge, I'm Gulliver Vaticus. <laughs> I'm your father, or at least what's left of him, which isn't much. I know you're feeling lost and alone. All I can say is that you're not alone in that. As much as you have no memories of your parents, I have no memories of my children, of you. For what it's worth, I also have no memory of my parents. That's been taken from me as well. I haven't asked them, but I'd be willing to bet that Grip and Dora have no memories of their parents either. Just like you, we're all orphans. I don't know how that makes you feel. I'll tell you how it makes me feel. Sad, lost, adrift, uncertain, weak. To not know where I came from hurts, to not know who might have loved me, or cared about me hurts. It's fucking brutal. But let me tell you something else. The thought that my memories of my child were taken from me was worse. The day of your birth, when you first walked with stupid sounds you made as a baby, all that is gone. As far as I know, you're not a parent, so this may mean nothing to you. <laughs> In many ways, neither am I, most ways. I don't know what I was like as a father. I don't know what our relationship was like. I don't know if we got along or hated each other or fought all the time or loved each other, but whatever it was, it was ours. Yours and mine. And it's gone. The fury and rage I feel at having that stolen from me is indescribable. The hole inside my being where my family used to reside is like some kind of whirlpool of darkness and bile. You're my son, whether you like it or not. <sighs> I know you value the truth, so I'm not gonna lie to you. I don't love you. I don't know you. I wish that I did. Sorry that we didn't have more time to figure this shit out somehow, together. Who knows, maybe we would have been able to forge a better bond now than we ever did before. Maybe not, who knows, probably not. Kind of a self-centered little shit. <laughs> Fuck it, you probably come by it honestly. Survive. Bury the ragman, help your mom. She's seriously messed up right now. Reynard, oh, that poor sweet beast. Find out what happened. You got this, Ray. And then crossed out, gull, and written in, Dad. P.S. I, I left my alchemical torch to Bates in my kit. You can have the rest as your inheritance if you want any of it. And he crumples up the letter and uh, sort of puts it inside his shirt. So it'll stay with him. So it'll stay with him. Thanks, Johnny. When you come out of there, Dora is waiting for you. 
Don't forget the heart stone. It will lose its potency soon, and these people need help. Yeah. May I... May I see the dagger? Of course. And he, like, pulls it out and hands it hilt first. Yep. She takes it and goes somewhere. um, She takes it and she asks him, do you want to be here when I do this? Absolutely. Aye. Wait one second. And he's going to go to uh, Nasa. Yeah. And say, here, put this on. Put it around her neck. Oh. Oh, oh my goodness. Anybody who's sick, you put this on them. Oh my goodness. Right away. Right right now. Yes, yes, right. Oh, all right, all right, everyone, everyone, gather up downstairs. Get below decks, it's about to rain anyways. Oh, wait till you feel this. It's the best this pirate's felt in (laughs) nearly a month. I'll have what she's having. (laughs) Yeah, I I, I can't even stress like that, that feeling of just how dirty and filthy and sick everybody has been for so long and the absolute sense of being freed from all contagion no matter how minor is a is a little bit of uplift a miracle yeah uplift for all these people absolutely um yeah uh, yeah i definitely want to be there for that so they're all going downstairs why don't, why don't we gather in the upstairs hold yeah, with Ray's body for this, for, this, for this one right here? Tolman would uh, join the rest of the folks, help usher the kids down below decks. As you can see, uh, the, the members of Skywind's crew out there uh, doing their best to clean up the worst of the gore in anticipation of having to seal up and shut up for this storm that's coming. And we gather in the on deck hold with this bone handled dagger so Dora sits down with it yeah oh my god does it still have raised blood on it oh yeah yeah I have to we all had to get used to calling Johnny's character Roni I have to get used to remembering now to check in with Dabwick because in my head, of course, I'm, I'm tending to you, Paul, as, by, as we're taking care of Ray's body here. Yeah. But what I, is going on with Dabwick? I think Dabwick would be down in the hold attending. Uh, I mean, this situation is... <laughs> I, you know, I, I would make a knowledge nature check to see if I understood why there was light shooting out of the ground into the sky maybe try to figure out what's going on with with them with some sense motive checks you were really protective of Bates would you have like when he was like sort of moving off on his own and stuff like that maybe I would take uh, um, take Bates side thanks oh and Paul Paul okay this experience of the aborted Harvest. Okay, I'm so glad we've swung back to this. What does the city feel like? It would be very intense for Dabwick for a number of reasons. Number one, Dabwick would have felt the energy of two cities simultaneously in coexistence. (laughs) And number two, Dabwick would have seen 
for the first time, the Yellow City. And, oh boy. Would you like me to make a sanity check? No. <laughs> yes, welcome to the club. <laughs> Let's quick, quick get some... Uh, Can I drop a name in your ear? Shut my door, shut my door, shut my door. There are so many interesting characteristics of Carcosa. One of them is, upon seeing it, you instantaneously know its name. So having <laughs> never been enmeshed in any discussion about Haster, Jamandor, any of this. So everybody on the boat? Knows Carcosa. Yes. Yes. Wow. Yeah. They would just know it as a word, um, but they know it. But they, they would look at it and they'd be like, that's Carcosa. Yes. <laughs> it that's is, terrifying. It's, yes. It's one of the, there's a whole bunch of really weird things about this city that uh, just happen. It's kind of, you know, it's kind of like with Jamandor simply thinking or knowing one thing does another thing. In this case, the visual sight of it triggers the knowledge of the name. So, uh, everyone's a psychic now. Yeah, right? <laughs> so, Paul, you and I have talked a little bit about Dabwick's vision of this great conglomerate city that uh, right. that they talked about right. in the uh, the ritual earlier this evening. Right. <laughs> 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 Um, 25 years ago. And seeing it now, getting a name to it, and, and feeling an overwhelming sense of menace and insanity from it. Mm. We're going to do some psychometry, but why don't you put your head on uh, how Dabwick is processing that. Mm. Great archetype, Paul. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Great archetype. All right. What does Jordan do? She sits cross-legged on the floor, misses Reynard briefly, and um, holds the holds the dagger on her palm, on the flat in the palm of her hand. Um, and I, she dips into the river of time. Give me that perception check. Gonna use an action point. Can I? Yep. <laughs> Sixteen. She's shaken, obviously. Yeah. So, with the dagger in hand, Ray's blood on her hand, Dora sinks into the memories of this dagger. Parade of images, and she reaches out her finger and she sees a once elegant sitting room. Tall windows frame the space on three sides. There's a fireplace in one corner next to a door. There's a large round table surrounded by eight stuffed, high-backed chairs that have seen better days. The walls are decorated with old-fashioned patterned wallpaper that's seen better days. A couple of mahogany sideboards are decorated with tarnished silver candlesticks filled with the stubs of melted candles. Books are stacked on the tables, on the floor, in the corners, all over the place. It's the house of a hoarder. There's a staircase in one corner, leaning down. On the landing, Dora sees a suit of armor on a stand. Doesn't look like much, sort of old, not well cared for. But Dora immediately recognizes it as the armor Katie described way back in chapter 23, when Dora first cast Mage Armor. Dora knows exactly where she is. She's in 
Iris Hill. And, uh, for funsies, why don't I take you to the map of Iris Hill and let you all see this room? Yes, please. This is so fun. <laughs> okay. Oh Everybody gosh. have vision? Oh, that's yes. not creepy looking. So many doors. Just one door. Just one door. <laughs> I know it's a table, but it also makes me think of a well. Or an eye. So, back to this vision. In addition to the furniture that I've already described, there's also a desk in the northeast corner of the room, and a woman is sitting at it, busily working. She's gorgeous, elegant, wildly vibrant-seeming. She really stands out against the dust and decay and neglect all around her. She's wearing an orange and blue dress over a yellow blouse and has a striking bejeweled headband on. Let me give you some art here. Yeah, listen. Dang, she's armed. We hear a knock at the door and a voice says, Now listen. And Tima enters the room. Let's get the right voices for this vision. I've got a script for you, Katie. Oh, great. Can you pass this down to Katie? Thank you. Who's, mm. who's Mellison? Miss like, Mellison. The She's the one that's uh, part of the smuggling operation. She's like the head housekeeper slash butler slash, like, she's really nice. <laughs> she's, a, she's a sweet lady. She's a real sweet lady. She's, she's a, a real she's a piece of work. Oh, good. You said? Yeah. So Tima enters. She's nearly exactly Dora's current age. This happened very, very recently. She's holding this bone-handled dagger in one hand, and with the other, she's almost unconsciously, compulsively scratching at the back of her neck. You can't see her neck because she's wearing this hooded cloak that covers everything but her face, but she's scratching, scratching, scratching. Ellison sets down her pen and puts away whatever estate business she was working on and turns to Tima with a radiant smile. Why, Tima, what a pleasure. What can I do for you today? Then take that tone with me. <laughs> tone? The vibe here is weird. Number one, Mellison is putting on this affect, this cheery, almost little girly affect that feels off-putting in a 30-plus-year-old woman. Also, it's instantaneously crystal clear that these two women despise each other. So sure of yourself, ain't you? Whatever do you mean? You're so used to being in control, aren't you? You like it. You think you're good at it. Oh, mistress. I believe I know the full extent of my powers. You are nothing. You have nothing. You amount to nothing. You only continue to exist because I allow it. There's a pause. It's clear to everyone watching this scene. Melison, Tima and Dora, now watching from the future, that Tima just went a little too far. 
Millicent smiles again, but it's icier this time. Yet here you stand, about to beg me for a favor. It's true. Dora can see it from Tima's face that it's true. There is something that needs doing, and she may not be able to do it herself. Tima hands over this dagger, hilt first. This dagger, the first weapon Vaticus let her keep on her possession all those years ago. The first blade he allowed her to touch. The very weapon he gave her. Is Reese coming? She is. Give her this. Give her this what? Give her this. Please. And what exactly is Reese supposed to do with this? If I don't make it back, and Gulliver and Braden do, I want her to execute both of them with this blade. Millicent just stares sweetly at Tima. Please. As you command, mistress. Now that will be all. And as Tima leaves, scratching, scratching, scratching at the back of her neck, Millicent turns the blade over and over in her hands and she giggles. <laughs> well, how interesting. And the vision fades with a lingering sense, Katie, that this weapon might contain more images for you to get access to if Mechanically speaking, you roll better. <laughs> but she exits the river of time. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Is Dora still feeling like that's somebody else and somebody else's decisions? Yes. Yeah. Though she's positive. She did somehow steal Tima's body now. <laughs> <laughs> But she's um, very b- pissed at Tima at this moment, and um, that just confirmed what she already knew, that these were her orders. And uh, her, her mind is turning away from how to learn to get along and use Tima to her greatest advantage to how to get her the fuck out of here and kill her. Mm. I'm reminded of... I think it was immediately after, maybe the beginning of the session after we did the finger bones reading. Yeah. We had sort of talked about keeping our eye on these moments of emotional conjunction. And you specifically mentioned threat to Ray, death of a child. All of that stuff happened so quickly. Do, do you think there was any, was there any syncing up in those moments? Was Dora feeling a closeness to Tima, a, a shared experience? So Dora's been alive 13 days. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
her experience is feeling maternal towards Ray, so she could sympathize with Tima's pain at that time. Yeah. She can't now. Yeah. Um, this is, th- this was her son. This was Tima's son. And understanding that <laughs> probably Ray killed her daughter, it's not, that is a monster. Yeah. Who could do that? And there is nothing that Indora's experience, like, <laughs> she's closer now to Tima than ever because her feeling is, well, I would kill you because yeah. you killed Ray. Right. But there's nothing Indora that could ever, there's nothing Ray could do that would make Dora put a knife in someone else's hand to kill him. Do you right. know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So she doesn't get that, but she does understand revenge now. Mm. That's the that's the faint line of connection. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Ooh. Oh, also mm. the um, the um, scratching at the back of the neck. That's what we were. That's what I've been doing since I heard the name. Yes. Yeah. So, Tuma was in on that too. Yeah. Stop it! Dabak hasn't heard it yet. Dabak's not in the room. We can say it all we want. Hey, what's going on, guys? <laughs> Did someone show What's going on? Can someone open the show door? Uh, open this goddamn door. What did you just say? And uh, Grip and Roni, any any response to that or moving on? Uh, I mean, Roni isn't saying anything. Yeah. But, you know, team is on his shit list. A grip is processing. He doesn't know. This is this is so it's really confusing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't. I don't think he. I don't think. I mean, I am barely able. Robert is barely <laughs> able to wrap his head around everything that's going on. I am confident. Grip is uh, a little at sea right now. Yeah. Yeah. I buy it. I buy it. I buy it. So as this is finishing up and Dabuk is down in the hold, helping seeing the, the passing of the Hearthstone around and making sure everybody's feeling okay and uh, processing these feelings of having seen Carcosa uh, with a room full of people who are, you know, expressing their, their fear and terror about it, this unsettled uh, emotional experience that they had when they saw Carcosa. Oh, I love being able to say it now. The whole first book, <laughs> not saying it. Carcosa, Carcosa, Carcosa. Well, it's, uh, we just had this big fight, too. and it, So everyone's, um, and then Brayden, and the ghost, or whatever it was. And so there's a lot of feelings going around. But I think uh, Dabwick's really focused on this city yeah. and what they saw and their enthusiasm to want to know more and uh, looking for the others. Where were the uh, Brayden's people? Oh, uh, Dibwick, I think they're upstairs in the hold, upstairs. Oh, they're doing something private with, uh, Braden, probably. Would, would anybody have called him Braden? Bates did. Bates did, right? Oh, Mr. Ray. Mr. Yeah, Ray. Mr. Yeah, Ray. called him Mr. Ray. Sure. Yeah, let's use Mr. Ray then, that's fine. All right. Uh, right, this Mr. Ray, um, they're probably with him. Stasi would approach you. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, are you still injured? Oh, I don't know. You yes. Know? Yeah. <laughs> Quite. So she's got three healing spells left today. That she'll pass out some healing. Great. Unload on whoever needs it. Great. Thanks. And is that the end of our night? 
We crashing now? This incredibly long night. Yeah. I think since day five, we haven't had a day this long. Well, is, um... Mm-hmm. Oh, God, that was a long day. <laughs> it really was. So, uh, well, Dabwick would then try to approach... I mean, I'm I'm just... Paul is just yeah. assuming that you guys would be busy, but Dabwick's going to no, go we'll up and down. try to approach Yeah, at a certain point, yeah, they yeah, would come yeah, down, absolutely. for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Dabs wants to approach them. Great. <laughs> Did you... You all saw that. So, um, no one down here knows what they saw. I'm not really quite sure what I saw, except I saw Carcosa. You saw Carcosa, right? I'm saying it right. Right? Yes. How do you know that name? As soon as I saw the city, I knew its name. Sense motive. Yep. Oh my god, the paranoia. (laughs) Absolutely. It's going to become a campaign of sense motive checks. Hey, you know... Are you, are you all trying to find out more about that's that? That's 12. Actually, that's a 10. Uh, Dabwick probably knows more than they're letting on. Dabwick might be working with... You're not sure. But this is one sketchy fucking figure here. Standing I mean, waist when high. We first, when we first met them, they were pretending to be a human kid. It's true. They used illusion to disguise their appearance. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm gonna go take a Carcosa. Nap. <laughs> yeah. You uh, you want to help us? Oh, I would love to. Yeah, 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 yeah. Can I? Can I come along? Come along wherever you guys are going. Absolutely. <laughs> so you can I can be that. really helpful. Oh, I'm sure you can. Yeah, you've probably all, you know, as the evening is wrapping up. You would hear the stories of what happened tonight. And indeed, uh, Dabwick was incredibly helpful. So you do know you're dealing with someone of uh, some level of magical access heretofore unseen by the gaggle of you. Do we, do we know, let's say Ray had survived, like what was our, what was our next move? Did yeah, we, let's do talk we about know that. what our next move is? What is the plan? Iris Hill. Iris Hill or the, a lot of or the fort. The fort. Right. Now we also have the whaling house. And also train with Faustin so I can maybe someday have point blank shot. And also, as far as I can tell, I'm not paranoid at all. <laughs> no, and I guess and if you're answering the questions the way you just did, we like that you sound very we agreeable. I might not know you're paranoid yeah. either. Right. Why would you? So, like, and especially with you saying yes, we don't know yet. Except he is making unilateral decisions about what happens next. Oh, that's wildly out of character. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, Kate. Uh, That's good. We gotta keep. We've known this character for years. (laughs) A very powerful magic user who just happens to show up to be able to save everybody. What a coincidence, right? Sure. Whereas, of course, the two of you know, uh, you know, Skywind's lifelong friend and uh, here to help protect Skywind. And, and Stasi would also tell them what happened. Yeah. And we would, we would hear that it's, we, like, we would hear enough chatter that it's not just Dabwick who all of a sudden knows the name Carcosa. Would we hear chatter that 
that's something that is happening to everyone, or...? Robert, Barnabas would recognize that everybody now knows the name Carcosa. Okay. Did he know it before this? He had, he had to have, right? I think he had to (laughs) Oh, yeah. Based on what we know. Yeah. Yeah. And... (laughs) What the hell's going on with Barnabas? Well, there's shit going on with everybody. (laughs) It's entirely possible, too, that Barnabas, like Grip and Dora and Roni, might not know that that is a a thing that happens when you see Carcosa. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's probably also pretty freaky to him as well. Yeah. And as we've talked, you know, we don't know yet if the time's right for him to do anything with that. But yeah, let's let's put that in your in your your Barnabas pipe. We continue yes. to smoke it. <laughs> I will Let take another. <laughs> um, okay. So uh, Dabuk has approached and expressed interest in joining. Uh, Roni has unilaterally said, "Yes, you're coming along." <laughs> Seriously, though, do Dora or Grip have any uh, reservations about that at this moment, or? No, I don't, I don't think. No, I don't think. I don't see. I trust that Skywin lady. She seems nice for a. Dabuk's grand. <laughs> the world is not real to I Dora am. right now. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's it's really like, what? Fine. Yeah, I don't. Sure. You know, mm-hmm. like she's she's not. Um, How about let's sleep on it? Because uh, we got to fucking sleep. Yeah. Yeah. What time in the morning is it right now? It's it's in the still in the midnight hour. Uh, nearing the end of the midnight hour. But we can with that as we all bed down for the night and sleep under the noise of the storm that passes, that comes from off of Lake Encarthen and roils over Thrushmore, over the deck of the ship, you can imagine, rain pounding on the deck all night long. Morning does finally dawn on the 6th of Neth, and um, the rain ceased uh, late in the early morning, Cloud cover is thick. It's gray, gray, lifeless day here in Thrushmore. We pick up uh, late in the morning with our friends Dora and Grip and Roni and Dabwick. We've got a pile of loot to look at, so let's indeed do that. Was there any healing that had to happen overnight? Or was everybody at within range of healing naturally? Does the charisma damage, drain, whatever that I took heal? So as we rest overnight, everybody would regain five hit points and also one point of ability damage for each affected ability score. So I think that puts Grip back. Grip, Grip recovers more quickly than Roni does to the damage from Countess Namira Lowell's and her projected eldritch form. Uh, you left with one point left, is that right, Johnny? Yes. One point of damage left? Correct. Is everybody fine on hit points after that rest? Great. Yes. Uh, Paul, you can go ahead and prep spells for the day. And if, you know, we need to do some figuring out later, we can. Okay. So we begin the day. All diseases are gone. Boom. We know we're all sitting, uh, everybody but Dabwick is sitting on a whole bunch of sanity damage. And we do know that lesser lesser restoration can be used to cure that point of charisma damage left to Roni and also be applied to some of this uh, sanity damage as well. It sounds like, Johnny, you were thinking that maybe we take the first part of the day to continue some training. I mean... uh, What do you think? I I don't know that he would necessarily want to, but I as a player desperately want to try to, at least sometime in this book, have that feat. 
So I'm sort of at an impasse with that. Yeah, it's right. You know, it's it's raining late into the morning. You all went to sleep very, very late. Day starts up, still raining. Pick up training down in the morning there. Which case... We could have therapy. Could have therapy with Tolman. You're not going to let us do group therapy again, though, right? No more group therapy. So I might be able to conduct therapy on someone. Yeah. Would Dabwick want to talk to either of you? Yeah. Or would you want to talk to Dabwick? But if I'm giving therapy, I can't take it. So, Paul... Dabwick's got to have a, a decent wisdom, right? Yeah. Great. So we want to sit Dabwick down with Dora and Grip down with Tolman. Love it. So Grip talks it out with Tolman. Tolman literally cannot fail this check. He is uh, amazing. Two sanity damage healed for Grip. I just feel like he looks right at me, you know? He really, <laughs> he really sees you. I think so. Yes. Roll a wisdom check? Or what do I roll? You do. What is the nature of this conversation? Like, how how are you talking this out? She is talking about Ray. Where this is a grief session. Yes. Great, great, great. This is grief counseling. Does Dabwick with interacting with other people and taking care of their needs? Where do they sit with that? Are they good at that? <laughs> I think. Um, uh, Dabwick's a, a, a little um, uncomfortable, means well. Um, might be a little awkward, but is so practical and present mm. that there's something very grounding about that. And Dora has great facility with talking about her own emotions and feelings. <laughs> yes, yes. So there's, there's no awkward that you can be that would stymie her ability to like just sort of let it flow. You know? Yeah, and I think Dabwick can understand that. And I think, you know, if this is really eight hours, eventually oh they get goodness. to a point of yeah. connection and yeah, understanding. absolutely. Great. And so also, can... uh, Roni would, I think, have gone to you sometime this morning and gone, hey, Dora, would you, uh, would you do me a favor? Would you, you know... <laughs> get to know Dabwick. Get to know Dabwick, because we don't really know him that well. <laughs> and, you know, you're, exactly, one of the, yes. you're one of the smartest people I know. And I think I that you would really do a great job of kind of getting to know them and see how they, you know, fit in with us and stuff. Certainly, yes. Yeah. Thanks, Dora. I really appreciate that. I love this. Thank you for running with this, Johnny. This is going to be fun. All right, Polly, give me a wisdom check. Natural 19 plus a 4. 23. Excellent. You remove four points of sanity damage from Dora. You're a very good listener. Thank you. Oh, I look forward nice to... Nice to get to know you, yay. Getting Ooh. to know you even And more. so during the course of this, getting, you know, this eight-hour intensive, deep <laughs> connection... It's a long time. ...with Dora really and learning about not just her sorrow, but the care and the generosity of her, of her, of her spirit and her feeling towards, mm. towards Ray mm. uh, is something that... Would, Dabble could absolutely latch onto there. Absolutely. I mean, would there also be in that like eight hours, like talking about the 13 days of your life so far? Possibly. But Dora, um, she has real facility with this and she has a high sanity threshold. So I don't think, I don't think even in eight hours, things slip out of her control. I don't think she says anything to Dabwick about Tima. Yep. Or borders anything on that. It is purely about her relationship with Ray 
and how they got to know one another and the feeling that they had for I don't think she even would have mentioned oh I happen to be sharing the body with a person who probably gave birth to him like that's not it's 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 all stuff that really happened between them Mm -hmm. but um, so the groundwork of like the the bullet points of the things that happened on the island that first day when we were the only ones conscious and we had that conversation together yeah um talking through uh, the divorce conversation you know just like not ever mentioning the details of the divorce but sort of how we understood how we were on the same page in a conflict in this thing and he really said some things that that touched me and helped me understand and um how he helped her through previous sanity damage (laughs) like you know um but but never giving details of how all that happened yeah amazing yeah i love that tima's not to be shared and this was not the time to tap into her desire for revenge on tima right so then, uh, over the course of this eight-hour period, uh, Roni trains with Vaustin as well. And he would have asked Bates to come up so he could also grill Bates about what his experience was. <laughs> with Dabwick. With Dabwick. Yeah, yeah. Uh, your two characters can talk together, and we, I will imagine that We will that imagine that. We do not need to actually play that Wait, out. Wait, do you need to roll a sense motive on Bates, though? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, think, I think that he trusts the kid. Just not the halfling. All right, let's talk about what we collect from all of those corpses we left strewn in the street. And the one we took with us. Yeah. Anrisi, in addition to the... who? All right. Uh, who can cast Detect Magic now? Can you, Paul, as Dabwick? Dabwick can cast Detect Magic. So, Risi had, in addition to the wand that she was holding, she had another wand tucked into her belt. She had a whole bunch of chemicals and solutions in beakers. Give me a alchemy check on that real quick, Johnny. Uh, 20. Five doses of black adder venom, two doses of a poison called podzar, and one dose of striped toadstool. Striped toadstool. This is a poison that damages your wisdom, and the deeper you go down that track, uh, also moves over to also damaging intelligence. It's a fairly low DC. Oh, it's uh, it is an ingested poison, so this is not an injury poison. As soon as he realizes that, he puts it in a special vial, and very carefully marks a D on it for Dabwick in case Dabwick gets out of uh, hand. Duly noted. <laughs> the black adder venom. Damn. I never would actually do it though. <laughs> black adder venom is, oh, it's a, it damages the, the constitution track. So potentially very deadly, very low DC as well. And then what was the last one? Podzar. Oh, oh, hang on. Mm. Podzar is an alchemical remedy Drinking this crystal clear liquid accelerates the natural process of healing constitution damage. Resting for one hour after drinking a vial heals you of one point of con, as if you had benefited from a full night's rest. Taking multiple doses in an hour does not increase the rate of healing. You must take each individually, followed by an hour of rest. And using more than four doses in one day has no effect. But hey, you've got uh, now a non-magical means of accelerating the healing of con damage, should you suffer some. 
That's cool. So, like, if you're Probably trying to never. poison something and then you accidentally poison yourself, you can at least use that. Exactly. Excellent. Dabwick. Oi. Give me a spellcraft check on these wands. One is the Wand of Invisibility. Roni knows that now. Seven charges remaining. And the other wand? Natural 20. Oh, yay! 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 This is I know what this is. I know exactly what this is. It is, hang on, folks. It's a wand of cure moderate wounds. <gasps> what? 14 charges. Oi. That's great. That's so great. That's going to be really helpful. Deb can cast that? I can. Yeah. That's probably why I knew what the word. Yes. I think they should carry it, don't you? Oh, I'll, I could do that. Yeah. Put it on your sheet. Yeah, put it on your sheet. Reese also had a Tanglefoot bag, a mithril chain shirt. What? Yup. Mm. A dagger, hand crossbow with 10 bolts, a masterwork rapier, masterwork thieves tools, did you have those yet, Johnny? Nope. Okay, that's a nice little bump. Two sun rods, 143 gold pieces, and a key. Looks like, uh, from the size of it, it looks like a door key, not like a uh, padlock or a trunk key. Is the mithril chain shirt going to be better than what I'm currently wearing? It'll be lighter, I bet. It'll be lighter. What are you currently wearing there, Johnny? The magic wooden armor. The wooden armor probably weighs 25 pounds. It does weigh like 25 pounds, yeah. Maybe Dabwick would Maybe like Dabwick should armor. try to uh, identify this yeah. wooden armor since... I could try. Yeah. I just rolled another natural 20. Hey, welcome no. to oh the campaign, Dabwick. I love it. Woo-hoo. I love it. Johnny loves Dabwick. Johnny, this is plus two wooden armor. Oh my god! So no, this chain shirt would not be better. It's a pl- uh, the that armor is a plus five bonus to the AC. What is the myth- mithril? Plus four to your AC, and it's very light. I mean, I've already, I've already got a chain shirt, but it's. Wait a minute. What's the? Uh, yeah, but you don't need to worry about encumbrance as much as. Yeah. Roni does. Truth. So a mithril armor check penalties are decreased by three. And the wooden is, armor has no armor check penalty. That means, I could be wrong about this, that means that Dora could wear it because it has no armor check penalty whatsoever. There's no way I can... How much does it weigh? It would weigh like 12 pounds? No. 13 pounds? Yeah, essentially, basically, there's no, there's, there would be no penalty for you wearing it, but something to ponder between sessions because it's, uh, it's a lot of weight. Do want to take that on? I, I don't. Yeah. And why couldn't, why couldn't it be plus two mithril chain shirt? I know. And since Grip doesn't need the mithril shirt, do we want to hang on to that as maybe something to sell? Because it's certainly valuable. Are you going to keep the wooden armor, Rooney? It's one better. It weighs 25 pounds. It's what minus one to... What if you guys two. traded whatever you're wearing with Grip? What is, your, what is, your, what is the armor that you're currently wearing? What is the plus on it? Four. You should wear the wooden armor. It's plus five. Is it light? It is. It is. You should absolutely. Because I get wear that. It. I get a bonus you, you when I'm wearing carry light. It easier. I mean, you should absolutely wear it. Great. So grip wears the wooden armor. And I should wear wears the mithril shirt. Yep. Fun. Let's talk about the cultists. They all have two potions on them. All three of them. Give me a. We'll start with dabs. Give me that spellcraft check. And if uh, dabs fails, then. 
out rolled a 12. Total of 12? Yeah. Okay. Uh, unknowns. Give me that uh, alchemy check there. 23. Three potions of cure light wounds and three potions of vanish. The potions they were all clutching as they were making these attacks were vanish potions. And they all had this Treskelian unholy symbol of Haster. And what does Ray have? So Ray carried the Morningstar Horrorflame, but he also carried the plus one light mace from Olver's Andalus. He has a Masterwork Silver Dagger, light crossbow with eight bolts, chainmail, and his buckler. Ray wore Ratchmambi's Brooch of Shielding, which has 82 points left. He wore a Cloak of Resistance plus one and a Ring of Protection plus one. He had the Phylactery of Faithfulness. Tolman would ask for that. Mm-hmm. Can Tolman wear that? Absolutely. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, great. Four potions of cure light wounds, one vial of sooth syrup, one smelling salts, two alchemist kindness, three wands, a wand of cure light wounds, 18 charges, a wand of bless, 13 charges, and a wand of command, <laughs> 38 charges on it. Oh, I wonder if that's on the psychic list. Yeah, check it out. Two scrolls of Cure Light Wounds and two scrolls of Remove Paralysis. So my guess is a lot of these healing stuff could probably just go right to Dabwick since Dabwick can use all of it, right? And nobody yeah. else can. Was there anything amongst the, like, the Ring of Protection, anything yeah. jumping out to people? The Ring of Protection and the Wand of Command. Okay. Is Command on your spell list? Sure is. You want it? Sure do. Take it. 38 charges. I think, I think Paul won the roll-off for that ring of protection, right? Yeah. Um, you want to roll off again, or you want to give it to somebody? Who's Who has a ring of... of uh... Nobody. Oh, I do not. And that's just a... Uh, armor class? What is it? Bring Plus one deflection to armor class. I mean, I'm going to say that you should have it grip. Yeah. Grip. I think if I, if I get that and the extra plus one bonus from the wooden armor, I'm up to a 24. Yeah. Oh, nice. armor yeah. Boom, boom, boom. 100% Fantastic. you should have that. Does anyone not have a cloak of resistance? I do not have a cloak of resistance. You should take that. Take it. Great. And I would actually say that uh, unless somebody really wants it, I should have the light mace because then I would actually have a melee weapon that I could still use weapon finesse on that wouldn't... Magical yeah. and wouldn't mess that up. That freak yeah. me out. Exactly. Love it. Yeah. Love it. And Dora already has a Masterwork Silver Dagger, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, do, do you have one, Robert? Does uh, Grip have one? I'm not carrying a dagger. Yeah. Maybe a uh, Silver Dagger goes to him. What do you think? Oh, he can't use it. Can't. Hey, never mind. Never mind. Yeah, That's no. what I'm saying. I'm not well, using my dagger. I was going to say, I could also give you now the Magical Dagger. Oh, to Dora. To Dora. Just as right. a as a Just so last that you ditch. have it. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. How does it feel, Paul? Have them picking over your corpse. Great. I love it's it. wonderful. Yeah. It is an awful, awful thing. What about that tasty brooch of shielding, guys? I think nobody could take it because everybody's got next slot stuff, right? Yeah. We should have it. If we ever, um, we should be carrying it because if we ever find out we're coming up against something that we know is yeah. going to cast magic missile, then we should have it. Yeah. Something a, to not dump, but just hang on to, for sure. So it should be in the, either the bag of holding or the handy haversack. 
Great. We'll throw it into uh, one of those. Unless we get to the point where we go, oh, how much is it worth? And we can sell <laughs> we it. And we exactly. go, we'll yeah. use it for this instead, blah, blah, blah. Uh, hey, Paul, does does Dabwick have a next slot item right now? No. Oh, well, Dabwick could just wear it then in that case. Oh, yeah. We took this off of a, a particularly vile enemy, uh, Ratch Mamby. And Ray wore it, but I, I think it would look really good on you. Ratch Mamby? Uh, uh, what kind of... Um bad guy was ranch he was the very tasty kind I don't like it <laughs> very bad with the and, stagger and he, and he takes it and he just very gently pins it on them thanks you're awfully nice looks real good on you oh. looks real good right. <laughs> as we wrap up this eight hour period oh question Yep. Do we want to end this session with a second attempt at the psychometry? Oh. Yeah, let's do that. So uh, Dora wants to attempt to re-examine the bone-handled dagger. She's going to use the um, a burst of insight, too. Yep. So gathering up with the three of you again upstairs near the end of this period as the rain is letting up. Tora sits down with the dagger. Natural 20. Oh, there we go. For a 35 it. total. Hey, Paul. Yeah. I got a script for you. Okay. <laughs> Holding the same dagger in her hand as last night. The images flash by Dora. She sticks her mental hand out, stops the flow, and shh. We're in the exact same place, the exact same sitting room. Melson is sitting at the exact same desk, wearing the same dress. The dagger now lies on the desk next to her work, but otherwise everything looks the same. It's either later that day, or, or maybe, probably, later that week, but very little time in the grand scheme of things has passed since the image we saw of Tima talking to Melison. And there's another knock. Ray enters the room. It's also immediately apparent that this happened very, very, very recently. Except for a single detail, Ray looks exactly the same as he did the moment he died. Except Dora. The one detail that's different is really striking. He's not rotting. Brayden. Oh, sorry. Ray. <sighs> Forgive me. Old habits die hard. Mellison's not using the little girl voice with Ray. Her demeanor is now deliberately matronly. I'm so glad to see you. What, what can I do for you today? Ray is on edge. He looks exhausted. He's not been sleeping much. Or if he has, it has not been restful. He's twitchy like a caged animal. That shit's fucking with my head, Melison. I know, dear. I know. I, I don't know how much longer I can last. I, I know, I know. But the Count says it's almost over. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He has no clue what he's into here. This last one, the idol and the lake. Oh, it's too much. It's too much. Ray's pacing around the room. And watching Mellison's face, Katie, it's clear to Dora that Mellison only has a general sense of what Ray's talking about. Like, she gets the gist, but the idol and the lake don't have specific meaning for her. 
as though perhaps everyone in this horrid little house had plans and projects of their own, and not everyone told everything to everyone. Shh, 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 it's okay, it's okay. No, no, it's not. I communed, and he spoke to me, the prince in chains. I I think they're all plotting against me. Maybe even the count. Something's about to happen. Something's going to go wrong. I don't know if they kill me, let me die. I don't know, and I can't. I can't find the right question to ask. It's okay. It's okay. No, it's not okay. He told me. He told oh, me. All right. All right. All right. Ray, come here. Sit with me. Can you do that? This young man in his twenties. This powerful being capable of drawing answers from the heralds of gods sits on the floor and lays his head in Mellison's lap like a child would. She strokes his hair. Did you have something you wanted to ask of me? Yes. I'm listening. If something happens... Yes? If something happens and I don't come back or I come back changed or wrong or dead or something. Yes. Is Reese coming? She is. Will you ask her to kill them? For me? All of them. All of them. No mercy. Yes, dear. Yes. Yes, I will. I will do this for you. Because you asked it of me. Promise me. I promise. Ray nods. He seems happy about this. He sits up and pulls out a holy symbol of Zan Kuthan from a belt pouch, skull looped with chain. He takes it off almost... For a moment, it, it almost looks like he wants to kiss it. Then he puts it in Mellison's hand. Give her this for me. She likes murder. She'll like it. She will like it. And she'll, of course, take great delight in killing each and every one of them. For you. She likes you very much, you know. Very, very much. It's obvious that Ray didn't know this for certain, and that the fact pleases him. But dear... She is a professional, you know. Oh, of course. He pulls out a very full coin purse, one that Dora wouldn't recognize on sight, but as she describes it, Grip and Roni recognize it as the one Reese was waving around and spending liberally from in the stain the other day. Here. Mellison takes the purse and smiles. Ray brushes the hair out of his eyes and leaves. Melson picks up the dagger again. She holds the blade in one hand and the chained skull in the other. How very interesting. And the vision fades. I want to close with something here. This is an emotionally draining night for all of us. And in order that this group can move on next time, uh, Tolman would be absolutely champing at the bit all day to 
do something, to say something, to gather people, to put Ray to some sort of rest. And he gets the sense that he's probably the only one, maybe one of the only ones, prepared to speak about this. So as you all emerge from the, the on-deck hold, Tolman has gathered everyone around and asks to say a few words over his body before the four of you now leave for your adventuring day. And he says, The Eternal Rose counsels us to seek light and to seek beauty. Not to be light or to be beauty, because we can't be. We're mortal. We are deeply, deeply flawed. We can perfect an art, but we cannot perfect our souls. Only she can be unshadowed light and unvarnished beauty. Only she is perfect. For the rest of us, all there is is the struggle. And Ray exemplified that struggle. He knew his own darkness, but he didn't let it stop him from creating light where he could. He knew the ugliness of his own soul, but he didn't let it stop him from creating space where beauty could take seed. Because faith is not a destination. Faith is a journey. And Ray, you exemplified that journey. I know you're not at peace. I know you may never be. I know you were angry and lonely and frustrated and sad and lost. But in your struggle, you left works behind you. Works of great beauty that can choose to make life richer for all who follow. And Tolman looks up at the whole group and extends his hand. Us. He leaves us behind him. We are Ray's great work. We are alive because of the pain and the darkness and the ugliness he endured, in part, for us. Shailen gave us a great gift in Ray. And Ray gave us the gift of our futures. Do not squander them. Seek light. Seek beauty. And remember him. Brayden Vaticus. And we'll close the book on chapter 51 here with one last image. Picture, if you will, the, the Zanzan doll. This little patchwork figure of leather and cloth sewn together by red thread with buttons for eyes and a toy alchemical torch now stitched to its right hand. This little doll set afloat by Maeve just before everything happened last night, into whose ear Tolman had whispered Ray's name, in the hopes that the Zanzan would carry that name to Zankuthan, where the mercy that Ray showed Tolman one day might be a light in the endless darkness of the Midnight Lord's ceaseless suffering, where it might demonstrate that holding on to hope for a change in intercession, that holding on to hope is never an act of futility, that no matter who we are, we all deserve love. And just as Ray was there for Tolman in his darkest hour, Shailen is still there for Dubral. The darkness is deep, but the light is strong. The little Zanzan doll who survived the storm 
clouds drifting out to the mists of Lake and Carthen, bobbing up and down the choppy waves. And that's the end of chapter 51. This podcast uses trademarks and or copyrights owned by Paizo Incorporated, which are used under Paizo's community use policy. We are expressly prohibited from charging you to use or access this content. This podcast is not published, endorsed, or specifically approved by Paizo Inc. For more information about Paizo's community use policy, please visit paizo.com slash community use. And for more information about Paizo and Paizo products, please visit paizo.com. That's P-A-I-Z-O dot com. Dark Nexus uses music and soundscapes by Sirenscape. Check them out at sirenscape.com. That's S-Y-R-I-N-S-C-A-P-E dot com. Opening and closing themes along with additional music composed by Rob Kozlarik. Artwork for Dark Nexus is by Matt Walquist. Special thanks to Toy, without whose generosity this project would not have been possible. And thanks to DMCP, Richard and Ari, Paul and Shannon, Chris, Scotty, Jason, Jess, Joe, Chelsea, Matt, Dave, Darren, and everyone we've gamed with over the years for all the memories and inspiration. 